Hi, my name is Bruce Perham. Welcome to my podcast series, Trauma from the Frontline. In this series, we'll be interviewing a wide range of people that work in the frontline industries who will be sharing their professional and personal thoughts and ideas about working in the field and some of the challenges that they all confront. Hi there, my name is Bruce Perham. Welcome to my podcast, Trauma from the Frontline. Today we have Mia come back to talk to me again. Um, you probably remember I invited her to come back and uh, it's been a few weeks since we did the first interview. Welcome again, Mia. Thank you for coming back. No worries. Um, now I was very interested to ask you what reflections you had of our interview last time. Um, what sorts of things maybe popped back into your mind or you thought about after the interview or mm. you know, just be really interested in what you thought? Yeah, um, I did think a lot about things that night. I think it sort of brought up a lot of things that I s- sort of haven't really thought about for a while. Um, and, yeah, I did have a bit of a rough night sleeping <laughs> thinking about some of the stuff Um I think I've probably maybe compartmentalised a lot of it and just put it to the side, but then bringing that stuff up again, I think, yeah, made me feel a bit uncomfortable. And I also probably reflected um, that I probably, although I feel like I'm back to my normal self or myself before I went into working as a prison officer, I think on reflection now that I have changed quite a bit because of my experience, whereas I kind of thought that I was back to my, yeah, as I said, normal self, but I'd probably not. Not. Is is that um, in, in a way revisiting, because they were pretty intense moments that mm. you shared, you know, in a way is that brought more attention to, well, maybe I'm still a work in progress, maybe I'm still definitely trying to process some of those experiences. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. How long did it take to sort of start to settle down? Um, um, well, it took a couple of days. Yeah. I was, yeah, not feeling great after it, but I think it's important that I at least share my experience and mm. speak to you about it. So I, uh, that in the back of my mind was sort of um, making me feel a bit better about the whole thing because I know that I should be speaking up about it and not just um, keeping these things to myself, I guess, because mm. a lot of people do as um, you know, you've written in your book and that sort of thing. So, And I'm really mindful of the revisiting of those experiences yeah. um, because they are traumatic. And yeah. I've never forgotten a guy came to see me one day. It wasn't about corrections work. He'd, he'd lost his wife and uh, he said, you know, I wake up every morning when I've got counselling and I'm coming to see you and I don't want to come. Mm. And I just don't want to come. Mm. And but I do. Mm. And I sort of reflected too. I said, well, we could kind of talk about the footy the whole time. Um, but then I guess we wouldn't achieve anything. And we talked about it hurts. Every time he comes to talk about his wife, it hurts. Mm. And, um, and it, but somewhere in that it's helpful. Yeah. And I guess that's what I kind of hope uh, that these conversations do hurt mm. and, 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 and they're very tempting to avoid. You know, you've got it somewhere, mm. but through your commitment to, I guess, for other people to learn, mm. um, you've opened yourself up to that. So mm. I really, I do value that. Mm. Um, now, before you came, I actually listened through our first interview. And there's a few things in there that I've really just taken some notes down and I thought we might 
um, be able to just revisit that and, and, and I'll have some more questions to ask. Because yep. you said a lot of things in, in your interview. <laughs> um, the Early on, you know, and I did ask you about your early days mm. and you made the comment that you were treated like the scum of the earth in, in, the, in those early days mm. and um, that, you know, being screamed at, um, you know, the, the, the generally it was a pretty aggressive workplace. Mm. And then that uh, incident where you had your first slash up and you've witnessed that and, it, you know, it struck me at the time and, you know, have you done your count? Have you done it? And then that, that being conveyed to you, but it was not much. Mm. You know, that's nothing. And then you said, do I need to suck it up? Not the worst, I must be weak. Mm. So if the work context is telling me, this is nothing. Um, and then you're reacting. You look around and think, mm. I'm the only one reacting. I must be weak. Why am I so weak? Why can't I handle it? Mm. When you reflect on on that, it's not fair, is it? Mm. <laughs> that you come out of that feeling, I'm weak, mm. when you've actually witnessed something that to most of us would be horrendous to, to, to witness. Mm. Can, can you put words to that of, of sort of what it was like to actually have to turn it on yourself because there was no no context to what you were feeling? Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think because everyone's – everyone – oh, that specific incident, um, I mean, that was the first time I saw a slash up. There was many while I was at MAP, so um, – I guess it was just the blasé attitude of everyone else around what was happening um, that no one else seemed to be distressed or, you know, concerned or, you know, <sighs> yeah. So I like my – because I guess going back to why I started or why I came into this job – from the beginning, I really wanted to help people and that I've got a really helping, caring nature and I want to make a difference in the world. That's like what I feel like I'm here to do. And I guess I came into this job thinking that I was going to make some sort of difference. But then I guess maybe these incidences and well, that specifically, it just made me realise that I'm going to make no difference here. Like I'm, yeah, um, it was just sort of I realised that everything I thought this job was going to be, it was not. Um, and if I need, if I was going to stay here, I needed to have that same attitude as everyone else. Like, yeah, I can't really put it into words. Well, gee, you've put it into words very well. Uh, <laughs> so it's almost um, like you was never given a chance, mm. you know, that, that wanting to – play a role or wanting to make a difference or wanting to work with prisoners in a certain way mm. was killed off pretty early. Um, oh, very early. Uh, and then you have that feeling of well, none of that is going to happen. Yeah. Um, now that in a way must have been a bit soul destroying to think, well, I've come into an occupation. I really want to make a difference. That's why I came into it. But within a very short space of time and through a trauma incident, that that's taken away. I mean, mm. was was that uh, hard to mm. kind of? Mm. What have I done? I think especially because when we were going through squad, um, it was sort of made out like 
my idea of what it was going to be like working in the prison was sort of um, solidified during squad because they really made out as if, you know, we were there to rehabilitate, help rehabilitate and make a difference and all that sort of thing. But then as soon as I got into the job and then saw things like this and the way everyone acted and the way no one really gave a shit that I was, that was my first time seeing any of that or, you know, that I was scared at that point or anything. No one cared. Um, it just made me realise that that was all rubbish, what we learned, sort of. It was just completely two different worlds from being in squad to then being in the job. Um, and I guess, like, it probably wasn't that one incident that made me realise um, <sighs> that I was weak. Um, there were, you know, multiple things that happened, I guess, in that early time um, that sort of, yeah, made me feel like I was I was the problem. Um, one specific thing that um, I think where I'm getting this weak, I'm weak um, thing from is um, I had written a prisoner up because they had spoke to me um, really rudely and I, something happened. I, when a prisoner is like, I guess, disobeys an officer, you write them up um, and it goes to management and then management decides how they'll deal with the prisoner. Um, and this prisoner had been very disrespectful to me and I had locked him in his cell and I'd written a report about the incident that had happened. And um, when I spoke to management about it, uh, the, the um, supervisor that I spoke to said, um, his words were, well, what do you expect is going to happen? You're working in a male prison. What do you expect? Like, you think this is going to be an easy job. Like, it basically discounting my the incident that had happened to me and just told me suck it up. So I think that's where I was getting this, you're weak, you know, you can't handle it and these things just reinforced into me all the time. Did you feel disappointed in a way, a bit like your mum reflected, you know, that these officers are going to change the world and yeah. going to come in and this is the new guard and the, mm. the, the, the new people that – did you feel disappointed to have that as a part of the promotion, a part of the attraction to the job? And then you hit this wall of what you hit – with no, it doesn't seem like any real effort to, okay, this is what we're training you, but we're really working hard at changing what the mm. new staff go into. And it doesn't sound like there was any work going on into, okay, we need to change how these officers perceive their work or perceive no. new staff or, you know, did you feel kind of disappointed that, mm. that uh, or let down or, yeah. you know, my God, this isn't at all what I'd imagined. Yeah. 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 And I, I sort of don't really understand why I stayed at that point when I realised that this isn't what I thought it was. Um, I guess because I was uh, like, I was so desperate to chase a career that, and I felt like I didn't have anything else that I stayed, but I just, I, thinking back on it, I don't understand why I put myself through that, why. But when you're in it, it's like <sighs> I think you're so, like, traumatised maybe from the whole thing that that becomes your world and you can't really see anything else. So I'm not sure why. Or I maybe s- you're trying to prove to yourself that you're not weak. Well, but I, 
I, I can manage it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, hard, you know, it's really hard to make sense of. I, yeah. I, I often, um, but a lot of new, you know, tell me officers say them, well, we'll crush that out of you, mm. all that. So it's almost like from what I, my sense of an acceptance of, well, yeah, you're going to come in out of training, but we'll knock that out of you pretty, mm. pretty quick. Because it, it came across to me that almost like what you think doesn't matter. Mm. What You might have an idea, but um, mm. I'm not interested. You, know, mm. you just feel you weren't contributing to, to the system in any way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I was making absolutely no difference and that I had to turn into the officer that everyone else was to be able to stay because, as I think I mentioned in the last interview, there's a lot of bullying that goes on there and I feel like when new people come in um, with that attitude of wanting to help and all that sort of stuff, it is crushed out of them. Like you're targeted to, to not be an officer like that kind of thing and you either leave or you turn into what everyone else is like is how I saw it. Mm. Have have other people that you've talked to had that same sort of feeling? I mm. mean, say people that have left, you know, that is that often what people say to you, that we either had to abandon our values to a degree or to stay true to our values we we have to leave? Well, or? it's interesting because I've had a couple of conversations. There's not many people that I still speak to from um, my time in corrections, but there are a few. Um, and one um, lady in particular, um, she feels the same way I, I do um, and she's well and truly out of the system now, but we've reflected to each other and, you know, spoken that I was coming on this podcast and we feel the same way. Um, and then there's there's another friend that um, we've had many conversations. He's still working in corrections at the moment. Um, and we've kind of asked each other, do you think it is a certain, like, th- is it a certain type of person that applies for these roles because they're already partly traumatised that they're drawn to it? Or is it that you become traumatised once you get into these roles? And we kind of can't really decipher what, what it is, but I feel like it's more people who are already slightly damaged tend to be drawn to this type of role and they're the ones that stay, whereas the people who thought it was one thing and it was completely not, they're the ones that tend to leave is how okay. I've looked an at it. an interesting idea, you know, in terms yeah. of, well, you know, what what are the factors that um, someone makes a decision, no, this is the world for me yeah. and I'll become aggressive and I'll jump in and do what everyone else is doing and 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 fit in with that or as you said if you're still standing outside of that and thinking hang on um this isn't what i'm on for yes you make the decision to leave and Mm. you know in a way why i see sorts of questions is the only way we're ever going to get to understand trauma in 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 these environments is we have to understand it we have to to talk about or look at what's happening, you know, mm. why are people behaving like they behave? Mm. And, um, uh, you know, so it, while it, it's, um, what's the word, you know, challenging to do it, if we don't start trying to unpack why do graduates go into a workplace that doesn't encompass the training like at all, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. 
or, or doesn't agree with it, well, mm. then we need to be looking at, well, why don't officers agree with it? Mm. You know, why don't they? Do you know what I mean? Mm. That, that, but there'll be no dialogue around that. Mm. Well, why do you think the training's a heap of shit? Mm. No. Um, what are the values that, that, that drive that? Because, mm. you know, most of you will go in wanting to deliver the training. Mm. Um, anyway, I think it's a major issue and, and, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, your experiences really just reflects, you know, a hypoth- hypothetical question. If, say, it had been different, if you had have gone in and there was actually a mentoring system yeah. that there was, you know, a wonderful senior there that was really about supporting you to develop really good ways of working with the prisoners and supporting you, like that example you gave when you, you first realise, hang on, this has got some danger attached to it, but you were really supported. Mm. Would it have made a difference, you know, mm. looking back, okay, you're going through all the trauma and you're experiencing it, but had you have been supported um, and the resources were there and the right people were there, mm. would it have made a difference? Mm. I think it, it definitely would have made a massive difference, but in saying that there's – when you're working in that environment, there's no, like, a lot of jobs, you would have your good days and your bad days with your job. Whereas when I look back on working as a prison officer, there's never a day you'd go home and be like, oh, I had a really good day. Like, that just can't exist because you're, you know, the things you're witnessing on a daily basis, the way you're being spoken to by prisoners, by officers, by um there's just no, you just never have that sense of fulfilment. So unless there was that happening, I don't think that um, the support, <sighs> yes, it would definitely make a difference, but it wouldn't but the, overall change. The reality, yeah, the reality of, of the of environment. Yeah. Would that end the exposure to trauma? Yeah. It's hard, it's hard yeah, to say. It is hard it's to It's really hard because I can't imagine <laughs> that. Yeah. Because, you know, as an outsider, um, you know, I value highly the power of exposure to trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and, and often my work with correction officers or police officers, there's resistance to that. Oh, no, 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 that doesn't worry me. You know, I don't. Uh, straight off me, you know, I don't, I don't, a bit like what you experience, you know, slash-ups don't bother me, suicides don't bother me, yeah. you know, nothing really bothers me, I just, you know, skip over it. Mm. Now, I don't believe that, mm. <laughs> um, but, the, yeah, so it's, it, it, yeah. Well, sorry, just, yeah. Um, yeah, thinking about that question a bit more, actually, I think probably you are right, if there was more support, it would be different, because in my time working for corrections, I... Yes, I worked in the prison for a majority of it, but I also did a secondment in community corrections as a um, case manager. Um, so when people put on CCOs yeah. and the culture in community corrections was like chalk and cheese with the prison, completely different. There was It was that supportive environment. Uh-huh. People were, um, well, I mean, you worked in an office, you weren't working in a prison um, and the offenders were coming in and you'd, have interviews with them and supervision sessions and things. So you're still interacting with prisoners or not, sorry, not prisoners, offenders um, on a daily basis. But the the way the structure of the support and, and that sort of thing was just completely different. And 
yes, it was still hard. I mean, you were speaking to offenders about what they had done and, you know, that was hard in itself. But, yeah, it was a completely different feel um, and I felt supported there and I could have stayed longer there. But the caseloads were too much, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I, that, yeah, that is another story yeah. because that's another form of uh, huge stress. You know, you're dealing with high, high level cases, and you've got too many of them. And yeah, then people get overloaded, and then you're never doing it properly. properly yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in terms of support, I mean, my managers were amazing. You know, they were like very caring, and you know, they'd always check in with you and. If there was any things that were concerning you, I always thought I could speak to them yeah. and there was no sense of bullying or anything like that. And the, and the people doing that job as well were, were very different. Everyone wanted to make a difference. Everyone was driven to help and try and change these people, whereas in the prison it's not like that at all. Uh, so it was, yeah, very and, different. And yet ironically, you know, how, how much time and energy and media goes into the role of prison officers in rehabilitating prisoners. Mm. You know, that's the that's the common rhetoric of, the you know, that mm. um, your role as a correction officer is to rehabilitate the prisoners because there's hardly anyone else that sees them really mm. in reality. Mm. Um, so I guess there's this sort of almost like um, huge expectation in a way of what the training's saying that you, you're going to go in and play a critical role in rehabilitating the lives of, of prisoners. Yeah. But in actual fact, when you get in that, you hardly get an opportunity to do it at all. Mm. So, so I'd imagine that, that that kind of has an impact. You're getting exposed to the trauma, yeah. but you're not actually getting the opportunity to do, do the good work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. That's, you've really hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. I've answered my own question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's my sense, you know, and so then you don't get any real feeling of, well, well that was a great, you know, like when you said you go home and you, you kind of look, well, was it a really good day? Well, there's no good days. Mm. I guess if, if you had more opportunity to have those sorts of interactions, um, or to actually feel like, um, what's an example? Case management is yeah. a really good example. You know, that if, if say, there were units where there were officers that really wanted to do more case management and wanted that to be more of their role where they did interact with prisoners and stuff, um, well, then you might be mentored in a better way. Mm. Of, okay, that is more of what your role is. Mm. Most officers say to me they hate it. They hate sitting down and talking to prisoners mm. about um, case management. No yep. one really ever wants to talk about that. But, it, you know, most officers say they don't want to do it. Mm. But if you actually had a system that allowed you to do it and supported you to do it, mm. you know, that might have been more what you were looking to do. Yeah. I don't know. what You know, like yeah. say if you had gone in and you were half of what you're going to do is, is liaise with the prisoners, talk to them about what programs they want to do, try and encourage them to take those steps towards rehabilitation. Mm. Uh, it could have been a very different experience, you know, mm. and I'd still be seeing the trauma. I don't know. What, mm. what do you think? Well, I mean, you do still have to do those things, but they're tick and flick. They're That's not, what, yeah, there's yeah, no it, meaning no. behind it at all. No. It's literally tick and flick. And I feel like um, the work ethic as a prison officer is shocking. Like I came from my role prior to being a prison officer. I really worked hard and, you know, I was never one to just sit down and not do much. I always, you know, had a really strong work ethic. And when I came into the prison, I couldn't believe what 
the officers were doing, like sitting, having coffees most of the day, reading the newspaper, talking to other officers, gossiping. Like it's a real gossip culture because there's no one's looking over what you're actually doing. Um, And when you do have tasks like, um, you know, doing programs and speaking to prisoners about that, as I said, it's a tick and flick. Um, And if you do show initiative and show that you've got a strong work ethic and try and do more than everyone else, you're shot down for it. There were so many occasions where, like, especially when I first started, I felt like I I needed to do a lot of things. So, you know, I was constantly doing searches because there was nothing to do. So I'd try to make work for myself because I can't just sit and do nothing all day. Like it would do my head in. I need to be stimulated. And this job is just mind-numbingly boring like there is nothing to do except gossip with each other um about other officers pretty much um and when I did try and make work for myself I was yeah I was shot down there was an occasion where um a prisoner had come up to the officer's post and I was working with um another officer a senior and the prisoner asked me um if I could look up his lawyer's phone number for him and I mean that's no skin off my nose, like he's going to get that number if he calls up his, um, you know, family or friends anyway. Yeah, so it's it a was, reasonable request. Yeah, it's yeah. a reasonable request. It's not like I'm not allowed to give him that. That's fine. It, all it would take would me to go into the computer room, um, look up his lawyer's name and give him the number. No biggie at all. But obviously that, you know, doing that for him, he's going to be grateful and he's going to be less stressed because he's got his lawyer's number. You know, he's on remand. He's probably needing to contact him as soon as possible Um, and he's probably going to respect me a bit more because, you know, I've helped him out. So maybe he might might not, you know, give me such a hard time in the unit or whatever. So I said, yeah, sure, no worries, I'll go do that. I'm sitting here having a coffee, reading the paper, doing nothing, you know, of course. My senior turned around to me and told me, no, you're not doing that. And I said, why? And she just, she's like, no, no, you're not doing that. We don't do things for, you know, prisoners like that. And just completely shot me down. And we got, and this was after I'd been in for a while. And I just thought, I'm not taking this anymore. And I turned around to her and I, and I had a massive argument with her. And I said, this is the kind of shit that really, like, I, I can't deal with it in this workplace. Like the, the, it's these little things every day that you think like, what What do you want me to do? Do you want me to just sit here and drink coffee all day and yell at the prisoners? Because that's what the culture pretty much is. When you try and go outside that, you get shot down, targeted. There was another time that I was bored. Like I was just so bored. I was doing an eight-hour shift and there was nothing going on in the unit and I was working in a unit with – um. Um, how do I word this, Um, like the psychiatric unit, so people with pretty bad mental health, Um, and they had an occupational therapist that would come um, once a week and do activities with them. And I had been sitting there trying to make work for myself, had done everything within a couple of hours in terms of like the tick and flick things. Um, And it was around Christmas time and the occupational therapist was making Christmas cards with the prisoners. And I was so bored. Like I was literally watching the clock and I thought, I'll just sit down with some of the prisoners and make a Christmas card because, you know, this is the kind of thing that, well, you know, as I said in squad, I, I, they're promoting. I thought I might have been doing. I thought yeah. I might have been doing, you know, and yeah. it was doing no harm. Everyone was, you know, really it was a good day in the sense that there were no incidences going on. Everyone was quite calm. I thought like, you know, 
you show like by me sitting down and doing that, aren't I showing that like I'm not better than you kind of thing, which is there's a lot of that mentality in the prison. Anyway, word got out that I had sat down and made a Christmas card. It's got spread around the whole jail and people were calling me a crook lover and, you know, all these sort of things and just being really derogatory towards me. And I just thought, well, I'm never doing that again. <sighs> you know, it was really sad to hear um, because, uh, um, you know, in a way I've realised even since writing Code Blue, I wrote it from a, a, a certain perspective, which was a different perspective in terms of that, you know, the camaraderie, the Code Blue officers stick together. Um, I've been well aware of the maliciousness in, in because officers talk to me about that in terms of what colleagues say about them, the, you know, the pettiness sometimes mm. of what's going on. But that it is staggering in terms of the, that, that type of situation is not addressed. Mm. You know, if you look at where well, you're pumping your graduates out to, you know, make a difference, go and work with mm. prisoners, really try and play an active role in their rehabilitation. And yet to hear that, that no, no one's got an interest in doing that mm. and that when you do, you actually get ostracised. Mm. Was that all just accepted by the seniors? Was it all just, yeah. yeah, that's what we do. We don't we don't really go. I know some officers do go beyond, but then you cop the flack mm. for doing it. Yeah. So is it just sort of a, an acceptance of all... Well, that's not our role. Yeah. Yeah. Politically oh, or rhetorically wise, yeah. it's very much a role. Mm. But if we just, we don't do that. That's all bullshit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because with this senior, what was the answer about giving him his, let him find it out himself? Or what, what was the, you can't give it to him. So what was the answer? What, what, how does his request get dealt with? He's got to deal with it himself. He shouldn't be in jail. It's his fault. <laughs> That's the common common answer oh well shouldn't come to jail oh even that's, i'm staggered it's just so been quoted yeah, to death. yeah and so obviously it's interesting mia um obviously some of the officers will, will say to me there's shit all to do here mm. you know like, i'm bored i've yeah. certainly heard that before um i haven't heard quite so clearly that um well, I do. In actual fact, I do in different ways of that sort of any contact beyond management is seen as being crook lover, um, you know, that there's this taboo against um, doing that. And I guess that's a part of joining the club. I mm. suppose. And officers talk about that in terms of, well, you're either in or you're out. And um, and if, you, if you're in, well, life just swims along. So I certainly have that concept, um, but it is really disappointing that the, 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 the in, in actual fact, with all the things that get driven in a prison, that people aren't being driven to okay, well, this is part of your job. Mm. Not, not, it's not. Yeah. De- we're not debating it. A part of your job is to um, be more active with the prisoners mm. in a respectful way. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean, in saying that, it is hard because, as we talked about with trauma and everything like that, that is in there. Um, and what you see on a daily basis and the way you're spoken to by prisoners every single day, it is hard to yes. want to do that. And I do completely acknowledge that. And it's it's easy for an outsider to turn around and say, oh, well, you know, you were, you know, if you were just a better influence on them, it would all be good. But these type of people that are coming in constantly, sometimes you feel like you're never going to change them. But it's interesting, though, because that – 
No, I get that. You know, obviously there's a lot of people in prison that are not going to change. Yeah. And, um, and the rhetoric doesn't fit. But in a situation where you've made the assessment, well, hang on, this prison's come to me, ask me for a reasonable request. Mm. So by me doing it, I'm not aggravating him. Mm. Uh, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Okay. He's not somebody who's manipulating me. He's not asking me to do a handstand and yeah. he's asking me yeah. for something that's yeah. quite reasonable. So why wouldn't I do it? If, if it was something that is you don't do, like, I oh, will go and ring my girlfriend and tell her something, you know. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah trying on, to be manipulative. Or, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah. You know, we don't do that. You go, oh, okay, I didn't know it was outside the boundaries. But for a reasonable request, I would have thought it would fit within that's a reasonable thing mm. to do. So I can't make sense out of why someone would say don't do that. Mm, especially when, when, your senior. When, when you there's know. no, yeah. um, you know, when there's no reason not to. But – it it just you know that all that that should be part of the culture of well no we do do that mm. but clearly from your own perspective no one really calls those shots no one there's nobody going hang on you can't talk to a graduate like that or you you can't so there's sort of a compliance within mm. now do you think a lot of officers are not agreeing with it but don't speak out um so sort of don't think it's right but don't say anything. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of that. But even in my time being there, people wouldn't admit that. But I, I feel that that probably is the Well, it's a bit of, you know, it's reality. If you speak out and you get ostracised, it sort of go, well, maybe I just have to play the game. You mm. know, look what happened to that person when they spoke out. Mm. They no one to talk to them and yeah. um, all of that. Um but there's a lot of food for thought in there, Mia. Mm. Um, now I'm going to go back to my notes because yep. there's other things. Um, you talked about um, uh, boom, boom. I disassociated from it. It was not me. I became two people. Mm. Um, that tell me more about that. That must have been very hard for you mm. to to survive in this environment. You said you don't quite know why you really decided you wanted to survive in the environment. But I get it. You know, in a way, if you had a left, you would have felt you were weak forever. Yeah. yeah. So by actually hanging in there, you gave yourself enough time to Bring learn, to hang myself. on, there's more to yeah. this than me being weak. Yeah. Um, that process of having to become another person to, to do the work, um, do a lot of officers do that? I mean, it must have been very challenging to – you know, you're trying to prove to yourself you can do it, but to do it you have to become this aggressive um, mm. person that you don't really want to be. Mm. Um, how did you manage it? Mm. Um, well, I guess I didn't really manage it. Like mm. I had, I didn't really speak to you. You were never comfortable with yeah, it. Yeah, I was never comfortable with it. I, I knew deep down that I was becoming a person I didn't like. Um but I also just didn't really want to accept that either because, as you mentioned, I just needed to prove this to yeah. myself that I could do it. And I didn't really speak to anyone about it either. I guess, like, I stopped sort of seeing my friends outside of work as much as I would because work just consumed me mentally that, like, on my days off I was just trying to recover from that. So then I didn't really want to go out and do things that I normally do. Um, so then work people became sort of my life. You know, you'd start going to drinks after work all the time and, you know, that was sort of your way of coping with it, just hanging out with So, yeah, alcohol consumption oh, went up. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Every day I was drinking. Yeah. 
And was that just to sort of be able to cope? I mean, was that a sort of a winding down? Yeah, winding down just, you know, because other people that you'd go out for drinks with had been through the same things as you, especially if there was an incident that day that was quite traumatic or something. Yeah. You know, you could debrief with each other, but then also they were the only ones that sort of understood what was going on. And as I mentioned a bit earlier, that there's a lot of gossip culture within offices. It's like, you know, that's sort of consume or consuming really. So you're talking about that all the time and, yeah, you sort of forget about your life outside of the prison mm-hmm. and it just becomes that, yeah. Well, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, in your last interview that uh, it was like another world. Yeah. It was like because, you know, partly where I sit and I see the damage this malicious gossip does. Yeah. And, and a lot of officers say to me, it does so much damage to them. You know, the officers are talking about them and all this sort of malicious damage. So you're, you're almost damaging each other. Mm. Like, it, 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 you know, it, it, it must be very yeah. weird in a way to think, okay, well, we're all working in this together, but we're actually all adding to the trauma of the work. Yeah. And I don't know if this is relevant or not, but it kind of seems like it is. With this sort of gossip culture and this um, – culture that we were discussing, there's a lot of infidelity that occurs in prison. So I I can't like I can't count on one hand how many people I knew have, you know, um cheated on their partners and ended up being with another officer. Like that is super right. common. Yeah. And, and is that sort of a self-destructive type behaviour? Is that a reflection of we're all in such a traumatised environment or a I malicious so, gossip that, that, environment that you, or yeah. that, um, that it sort of is almost like another world? Yeah. Um, a bit like when the boys go to Bali. I, I, I don't know. Is it, is it that? Well, um, I, I don't know. Again, like I haven't really reflected on that too much, no. but there's something in that. Like why is that? Yeah. Like it is so common for this yeah. to happen within the prison culture. I've never seen anything like this in a workplace. Everyone's, no. you know, been with one person and been with the other person and, you know, left their wife and gone with this it person. Like it's, it's so common. Yeah, yeah, but why is this happening? I guess it's because of all this trauma that goes on. Well, it, you know, if you look at the um, – yeah, to me, there's not much debate about, you know, you get exposed to long-term trauma, it will change you. Mm. Even, you know, people say, I'm really good to go, you know, absolutely no problems, 20 years in this and I'm fine. I often think, well, if we talk to their families, you know, well, mm. yeah, it's easy going really. You know, I think often what I hear from family members, you know, kicks the dogs, grumpy, you know, drinks five beers before, you know, mm-hmm. like, yes, I'm dealing with it and I'm really okay, but you know, am I really okay? Have mm. I changed so much that I'm actually not okay, but I don't, know it you know that yeah. that, that type of yeah. dilemma um so yeah uh, you know i get you go all of that that mm. you're dealing with but just um so with because the alcohol often comes up and um as a as a coping in, in a way the old uh pentridge prison i was to say oh we used to roll out of pentridge we go over to the pub over the road we mm. drink for eight or nine hours and then we go back mm. that the, the the alcohol just seem to be so endemic. Is, is that widespread amongst correction officers? I mean, mm. often I, when I ask people how do you manage to just go, I just drink a lot. Mm. I mean, is is, that, is it just accepted, well, yes, this challenge work, just, you know, drink it away? I, I don't know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a more 
normal workplace, you might like not know if your work colleague drinks alcohol or not, but in the prison, you know, hundred percent everyone goes for drinks after work and it's mm-hmm. very common for you to do that. You'd be probably an were, odd one out not doing that. Were, were you were you aware of that? You know, hang on, I'm drinking a lot, you know? like I was, but I wasn't. I think I've, probably deep down I was, but I didn't care because it was the only... Right, okay. So you're in a way that despair level is so high that it's almost like, well, if a few drinks lessens that, mm. it's the price I'm prepared to pay. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. which, you know, when that's the, a mindset that it means if you'd stayed, you'd probably still be drinking. You know, mm. like then, you know, I see officers, police officers, correction officers that have, have drunk for so long to, to manage it um, that it's just become a way of life. It's mm. just become a way of um, of managing it. Now, uh, listeners to the podcast are going to learn that I go off on tangents and then forget what I was going to ask and then I come <laughs> back to them. I've just come back to a question I was going to ask Mia before. But do you think that with with – that all, all these officers taking all this home to their families, police officers, correction officers, they take all this trauma and they take it all home to their families who, you know, recognise that they're changing and stuff. And then that kind of, okay, relationships are breaking down at home um, and then they're having relationships with other officers um, because of it, you know, is, 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 it, is that a reflection of... Uh, the hidden kind of impact that this work is having on the families. I mean, I never hear within corrections, I never hear families mentioned much, mm. you know. I, I never hear, um, you know, I don't even think EAP is available for them unless it's a critical incident. So I never hear, you know, gee, we really worry about what, what, what the impact this is having on the officers' families. I mean, do you think it's kind of connected mm. that – the relationships are breaking down and, and some officers will say to me, well, I've had my third marriage, you know, don't marry a correction officer mm. like, or we'll wreck a relationship. You know, is, that a, is there an element of that, mm. that that, you know, it all kind of starts from trauma yeah. but impacts in other ways oh, and definitely. then ends up with this instability of relationships? I don't know. I, yeah, but I, again, I think when you're in it, um, you're, not, uh, you're not able to self-reflect enough to yeah. see that that's what's happening. You probably just... Yeah, it's it's yeah. yeah. You're so it's a bit like what you said. You're so caught in it, yeah, and it's so influential on your thinking mm. that what's the old saying? You can't see the wood for the trees. Mm. I, is it that yeah. type of? It's yeah. just so engrossing mm. that you get absorbed by it. Mm. Yep, yeah, but yeah. at the time you can't see it, and I was the same. I couldn't see it while I was in it, and I pride myself on being someone who does a lot of self reflection. And is quite critical on myself. And when I was in there, I wasn't able to see that. Can you make? I know I often ask a make sense question, but can can you look back and think? Is it just you can't put words to it? It's just the overall. When you add it all together, it's almost like a mesmerising environment. You get trapped like a fly or something. Yeah. Is it just sort of like when you're in it, it's hard to get out? Mm, yeah. And I think for a lot of people as well, like, as I said, I felt like I was chasing a career and, you know, I didn't have anything else. I'm sure that if you've been a correction officer for a longer period of time than I was, like, you probably think, what else could I do? Like, I'm so used to this environment where I barely have to work. You earn pretty good money. I mean, you know, with overtime and all that sort of stuff, you, you have the ability to earn good money for doing not much. Where else could you find that? Um, you know, because a lot of people are doing it for their families. Like that's 
well, like why else would you be put yourself in that environment if, if it's not for your family? And if it wasn't for those other benefits of yeah. like, you know, okay, it doesn't push you too much, you've got the odd, you know, slash up or suicide, but if you can disconnect from that, um, uh, you're yeah. Not, yeah, you're not, you're not using your brain, yeah. put it that way. You're not, yeah. You're not so, stressed in that sense as other workplaces might stress you with. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had a few people, you know, like obviously in Code Blue, I feature Neil and, and his family. And I've had a few people say to me that you know, he's got a, obviously a different name, but who know him and say he was always one of the officers that was always there, that he worked. And, 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 and I know he did. So there obviously are officers in there that do take it head on you know that do but it doesn't sound like there's many no um and uh yeah anyway so because you know maybe you know in some ways uh, neil wasn't a good reflection of the he was one of those officers that certainly wore it on his sleeve he took it hard you know mm. as he he would say you know the losses i take hard when mm. i lose a prisoner i take it hard and I'd reflect to him, but well, that shows an element of caring, even mm. though you know a bit of a tough nut. You know, I probably found that a bit hard. But um, are, are we losing, or is the system lost sight of the caring? Or have some of the officers lost sight of the caring? Mm. Yeah, yep, definitely. I remember when I first started within. It would have. I can't remember exact time frames, but it would have been within the first month that I started. There was a prisoner suicide and it was announced. So before you start work for the day, um, we do a thing called parade where you um, yes, basically, de- yeah, you, you mark the Watson? roll. Yes, sir. Yeah, pretty <laughs> yep. much. Yeah, yeah, roll call. Make I nearly sure salute you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they also talk about what happened overnight. So you're all aware of what happened. And on this particular day, as I said, I was very new. Um, they let us know that a prisoner um, had um, taken his own life and I was shocked. I, uh, Firstly, I didn't realise, was this common? Was this uncommon? I wasn't sure because I was so new and I just I felt sick, like thinking this is just, you know, an off-the-hand comment. Oh, yeah, by the way, this, this prisoner took his own life. Anyway, as we were walking to start work for the day, once we'd finished that um parade um and you know you you start your shift um I went up to one of the um senior officers who had worked in the unit where this um male prisoner had taken his life um and he's worked in this unit for a long time so I knew he would have known this prisoner quite well um and I just went up to him and I said I'm so sorry I hope you're okay like this is horrible and he was so shocked that I was Concerned. Concerned. He was so shocked that I, you know, I asked if he was okay and acknowledged that this would be hard for him because, and he thanked me for saying that. And I was kind of a bit taken back because I was like, why wouldn't I? Like someone's just killed themselves. Like it's horrible. But now, well, but after, you know, being in the system for a while, you realise that, like, in a way I can't believe I actually did that because... (laughs) People don't, well, you know, once you work there for a while, people don't do that because there's an element of, you know, you don't care about the prisoner. So why would someone say sorry to someone who's, you know, they're senior in a unit, like you're not meant to really care about the prisoners. So, like, why would that affect you? Why would you say sorry? Yeah, it's sort of like there's two worlds. You know, there is that world of public 
because I'll have a lot of officers in a counselling context will acknowledge that they're most deeply upset um, uh, and yet there's almost like that bravado of if you say, I'm really quite distressed about that prisoner taking his own life publicly, mm. you get this sort of like backlash. I, you know, mm, it, yeah. it's just, you know, in, in a one-to-one, you know, I've had a lot of expressions of, of um, you know, sadness about the loss of a life. And I guess that drove Code Blue in a way, mm. you know, a, a lot of officers, I think, maybe feel that sadness but don't feel it can be expressed. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, they feel it. And and uh, and haven't lost sight of it's a loss of a life, no matter what what the situation is, but don't feel they're in a context where yeah, like for you to feel that if I go up to somebody and 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 not just say you okay, but really ask them are they okay? Mm. You know, I know it was, that, yeah, that, it was that, that would have been pretty yeah. difficult, and I know you knew the prisoner, and yeah. I know that you worked with that prisoner, so you must be feeling it would would be for that to be not the norm or, mm. or to be unusual. I thought, oh, someone's actually come up and genuinely asked me how I am. Mm. Um, it really probably reflects what's not working, doesn't it, mm. in, in, in so many ways. Mm. Um, we've probably been going a while, but um, you, you mentioned in your first interview of that being scared, of that you're in situations where you were scared and and you mentioned about the pressing the duress and then you you, you copped the... Um, I won't repeat it, but you know that uh, a, a pretty um, uh, what's the I word aggressive yeah. uh, response to you know we cut our own snakes and all all that sort of stuff. I mean, is that symptomatic of um, we just deal with this stuff in our own way? We we don't want to be challenged on it. Yeah. We've we've worked it out. Mm. And um, you effed it up. Mm. <laughs> um, what? What? Can you looking back now? Mm. Kind of what? What was going on there? One, mm. your your sense of fear was totally disregarded. Mm. But is is the is the system just working for itself? I don't know because mm. you know in a way, Even, yeah. Uh, if, if anybody from uh, you know uh, uh, in the hierarchy. Um, heard that they'd be oh, what's going on? But it, it, what what is going on? I mean, can you make any sense of it now? And you look back, hard question, I know. Mm. But or even thinking about that as well, like I feel uncomfortable even talking about that incident. Like it still makes me feel really uncomfortable because, um, I know I did the right thing in the sense that you know we've been taught that if there's an incident happening, you call a code. Like that's what you're meant to do. And at this time a prisoner had been taken to the ground because he was trying to assault an officer and I pressed my duress and I just, and, yeah, the the fact that I got, you know, screamed at for doing that, which I thought was the right You've thing. You've done the right thing. Yeah. yeah. But, it, again, it's still, I don't know if it's still, like it still makes me feel like oh, I was too weak in that situation. Like no one else pressed their duress. Why was I the only one that pressed it? Like, I know it was that's what we were meant to do, but it's just this culture of this boys' club in that, like, you know, no one's scared. Like, you know, we sort it out ourselves, you know. And because I pressed the duress, light got brought to that incident, like as in the cameras would be reviewed and everything like that. So that's why they were angry at that fact that I had done that. 
But yeah, it's more but that it still has they that, can handle everything. It still has that inference. If you're a reasonable officer, you wouldn't be racing to your duress button, you yeah. weak dog. You know, yeah. is, I still feel still like I the, shouldn't have pressed it that day. The, like the it still inference. makes me feel, yeah, really uncomfortable. Well, I, look, I, as, there again, as an outsider, um, I, I can really understand the confusion of – because, you know, if they – like. Most people at some point in their career will be scared or yeah. fearful. I'm never really when sometimes I say to people, Really? Yeah. Oh well, yeah, I was a bit scared about going into that sort of situation. So, you know, fear or being scared isn't gonna be a phenomena that people don't know. Every officer's gonna know it. They've just learned different ways of actually how they deal with that. Um, because if you're in a situation where your life is potentially at risk, you know, you, or you, you're at risk of an injury, you're going to have some element of fear. Mm. So that's when I thought, when I thought about it after and I listened to our interview, I thought, well, th- this whole issue of how do you deal with fear, how do you deal with being scared, and as all that just got distorted, you mm. know, we've got ways of is it about we, we now have systems that make us safe. Mm. And we adhere to them, you know. So you you you've in somehow gone against an unwritten code mm. or something about yeah. what we do. How are you to know? <laughs> yeah, you know, like hang on a minute, I've been here, you know, two hours. How yeah. am I no, no? Don't press the. But somehow inadvertently, you've crossed this line. I I, I don't. Yeah. I can't make sense of it. Yeah. But I I, I, I can, can't either. I can only really make sense of it in terms of that it actually still comes from. This is the way we operate to maximise our own safety. Mm. Like, I don't know. I think somewhere is to protect ourselves in the best way that we possibly can, but it might not be textbook. Mm. Um, but I don't know. It probably connects with what we're talking about in a mm. way. There's some culture stuff there yeah. that's pretty entrenched. Mm. Um, and uh, if we're ever going to match the rhetoric, well, that, that's got to start to be challenged, doesn't mm. it? Mm. But um, so do, do, so do 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 you now not feel weak? <laughs> well, yes and no. As I mentioned with mm. like that incident, you know that still makes me feel so uncomfortable thinking about what I did. Like and that I still feel weak with that. In like, in a way though, I, I would honestly reflect to you, Mia, that um, if you hadn't have pressed it. In a way, that's a step into, well, that's the way I'm now going to manage it. Yeah. You know, I'm now going to not press duresses because I have to learn, unlearn what I've been taught. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, mm. you, you, you stood up for what was the right thing to do because mm. the right thing to do was to push the code. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Like, say, for example, you know, that prisoner pulls out a weapon, stabs that officer, yeah. and then everyone's going to go, well, Mia, why didn't you call exactly. the code? You're well, standing exactly. there with the, you know, you've been trained to, you would have got, got done in for that. Well, we got trained you know. that as soon as there's any sort of incident, you press exactly. that duress. So the minute so, you don't press it. Yeah, you can't win either way. He gets hurt. Mm. Everyone's going, oh, why didn't you press mm. the code? And clearly you're then going to go, mm. if I had to press the code, he wouldn't have got hurt. Mm. So, you know, in my mind yeah. it's quite clear you press the code Yeah. because the minute you've got officers thinking they can't press a code, you're then responsible. You, know, you will see yourself as being responsible 
for everything that happens to that officer mm. or the other officers. They might think they've got it under control, mm. but mm. I don't 100% know they've got it under control. Yeah. So I don't know. I can really understand there. There's a headbanger. Yeah, you would have gone home is. after that oh. and just gone, you know, my God, should I have pressed it? Shouldn't I have pressed it? Um, and, I, I, you know, my sense, being honest, is that the, the pressing of it is quite symbolic. Yeah. The fact you didn't press it, I mean, you did press it, mm means that, you know, okay, uh, this is a dangerous situation. I'm going to press it. Mm. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's oh, just a mind. It is. I mean, when you, you, when you sort of, when you, you laugh about it or you think, what other job has, you know, when I say to, to officers, you know, you have a psychologically really complex job. They go, what the fuck, you know? Mm. Not really. Now, yes, you have. You know, mm. you deal with what you deal with, and 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 then you look at the organisational structural complexity of what you're dealing with, mm. and you're mesmerised in a world that you you know you, you're struggling to make sense of. Plus all the other things, mm. uh, no one's going to convince me it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it's not. It's such a unique, amazing, unbelievable occupation. You know, mm. um, I think I've. Hammered you <laughs> enough. Mia, That's I can't right. thank you enough for sharing. You know, as I sort of mentioned before, the only way forward is we have to understand what's really happening. Yeah. You know, rightly, wrongly, upsets people. Um, yeah. People don't like it, defensive to it. I, you know, I don't care. Um, we just have to get to this is, you know, what people experience. Mm. This is your story. And another officer might come and say, no, none of that happened to me. It was all you know, great and it was terrific. And that's good. That's happy. That's great. Um, but, you know, I think what you shared today and last time, just we need to digest it and mm. go, okay. <laughs> yeah, We've and got some wanna, work to do here. Yeah, I just want to thank you as well yeah. for taking uh, the time to listen as, because there's not many people who want to listen and actually understand what's going on in there. So I yeah. really appreciate that you're doing this. Well, yeah, it's just I love having these conversations. It's just absolutely awesome. So a big whopping thank mm -hmm. you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Trauma from the Frontline. If you are enjoying this series, please make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you find this information valuable, we ask that you rate the show five stars. If you would like to get in touch with me, please feel free to email me at bruce at letstalkdifferently.com.au. Until the next episode, please take care. If this episode has raised any issues for you, free counselling is available through your organisation's employee assistance provider, Lifeline on 131 114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. Today my guest is Greg 